That's cool. I uh, I feel like every time I come up to preach, Kathy just preaches my sermon. <laughs> like, do I need do I need to be here? Like, do you can I come up more? <laughs> Um, this week we're, we're finishing up our, our Jesus said series. Uh, so for the whole summer, we've been camped on the, the, the words that Jesus said, the words that bring life. And so this morning we're going to finish up in Matthew six and, uh, Matthew six is part of something called the sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus outlines on the sermon on the Mount is not only that he has brought the kingdom of God down, but how us as kingdom citizens can live into it. And a lot of the time, people see this on the mount, and they see it as this like robust thing that can never be attained, uh, instead of kind of a something to value or, or, or see the heart behind it, which is doing not more things, but doing the right things. Uh, not doing more for God, but figuring out what God is calling you to do, and then doing that. So people get overwhelmed with the Sermon on the Mount because there's a lot to do's. And they get into this legalistic mindset of, if I don't do this, or this is impossible. But this morning, we're going to look into the heart of it. We're going to look into the motivation of why God calls us to do certain things and how that actually empowers us for an abundant life. And I think the best uh, illustration that I've, I've come up with for this uh, is, is how, like, how funny marriage is. If, if you're married, you know. <laughs> But you just kind of like choose another person who's like broken and you're like, I'm going to link my life to you for 80 years and we're going to do the whole thing together. Um, and, and in marriage, it's really easy to kind of miss the mark <laughs> slightly and then it becomes a really big thing. Uh, one way that I found that marriage is, sorry, I won't say marriages. One way I found my marriage <laughs> to where we've missed the mark or miscommunicated is something called love languages. Have you guys heard of love languages? So love languages is this idea or this principle that there are different ways that people receive love and different ways that people communicate love. And so there are five different love languages. There's uh, quality time, physical touch, acts of service, words of affirmation, and gifts. So those are the five love languages. Sydney, my wife, is very much physical touch, quality time. I am very much acts of service and words of affirmation. And so when we first got married, it didn't click. <laughs> and so we, we moved to this house and uh, we were setting up this house and uh, Sydney was like, we should set up this kitchen together. And I was like, that sounds like a great time. In my mind, I was like, oh, I can show I love her by doing things. And in her mind, it was like, what a cute little thing we can do together. I can just tell Cody what to do and then he'll do those things. And so we set up the, the kitchen or we go to set up the kitchen. I'm like, oh, we should put the forks over here. And she was like, no, the forks are going to go over here. And I was like, okay. We should put the cups up here. And she's like, no, the cups, cups are going to go over here. And I was like, why am I here? <laughs> and so then in my heart, I was like, okay, I am, I, I am going to go downstairs uh, because I don't like being rejected this much. So I'm going to go downstairs and set up the basement because that's something I can do practically. And she was hurt because I left and I was hurt because she didn't tell me that I was doing a good job. And it was this whole thing until we started understanding love languages. And I was like, and she was like, oh, you were just trying to do stuff. Uh, and I was like, oh, you just wanted like to spend time with me. That was kind of weird. Right. And like, we have things to do. And, and so this whole like miscue where, where we both wanted to do more things to show we love the other person, but we weren't doing the right things. And so that is, is where we're going to be this morning. Um, what, not doing more, doing, doing the right one. So we are in Matthew six, uh, and he focuses on three areas. 
It says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. And so we're going to take those three things uh, kind of independently of each other. And so we're going to read through the scripture together. Uh, let me pray first. Jesus, thank you for the Sunday. Thank you for a time that we can come together, celebrate as a community what you've been doing in our lives, that we can sing about your goodness, we can sing about your love, and now that we can hear and, and experience it as well. And so, Lord, I ask for more of you and less of me in this, that uh, your words would be the foundation of what is taken out of this building uh, so that we can go out and, and be your light, be your kingdom citizens in Powell River. Amen. Matthew 6, Jesus says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. When you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. So stop there. The, the pattern we're going to see this morning is uh, when you do this, don't do as the hypocrites do. And, and what Jesus is, is highlighting is don't act like the people whose motivation is to be seen by other people. He says, don't, don't be like those people. Instead, serve, serve God. Don't care what people are, are thinking or seeing, serve God. And uh, I was watching a video the other day, and it, they're pretty like common videos on the internet right now where someone you know, does something that gives a free iPhone away or free AirPods or something. And so it was this video of a guy giving an iPhone to like a 10-year-old boy, and there was tears, and everyone was crying. And then a video was posted after of the mom who took a video of this guy trying to take the iPhone back from the kid. And it was like, this was just a prank. Like, blah, blah, blah. And so the video was originally posted, and I was like, well, look at how good this guy is. And this other video was posted, was like, this guy's trash. And so it just exemplifies what was happening kind of in the synagogue, was, was these spiritual acts were happening, but not out of a desire to serve God, not out of a desire to even serve people. It was, look at how I'm doing this. Look at what I'm doing. And what Jesus focuses on first is charity or giving to those in need. And it shows that there's, you know, there's not only a an emphasis on what you do, but, but why you do it. In this case, the, the person, the needy person was being served either way. If it was being the person who was kind of blowing trumpets and serving the needy person, or the person who was serving God and serving the needy person, that person was being served. But Jesus was saying, don't serve out of a hypocritical heart. Instead, seek to serve out of a desire to serve God. Jesus is showing that God is not so concerned with sacrifice, but with surrender. Someone who's acting for the acknowledgement of others is going to get that, is going to get the acknowledgement of others, but that's all they're going to get, right? God is saying that, that, that is their reward, and, and they'll be thrown back into this constant cycle of, of pursuing human adoration, be thrown back into the constant cycle of, of never being filled because there's always more to attain, there's always more to gain, do more, attain more, be more, which is opposite to the one who has the godly leading or the godly prompting, because this person doesn't trumpet what they've done, but in the stillness of their heart, they sense the Holy Spirit guiding them to the who and to the what to give, and their reward comes as the sense of peace that, that comes from listening and obeying God. And that doesn't mean that actions won't be seen by other people. I mean, you know, Sam or Pastor Sam and, and myself, we, we stand up here and we speak and, and that you, we are seen by you, right? And it's not that you won't be seen, but it's the motivation, motivation to be seen. Jesus served others by dying on the cross and being raised to life. And that was seen by many. 
but his motivation was so that they could believe in Jesus, so that they would be saved through his death and through his resurrection. And, and in the same way, good actions and giving should point others to our motivation, which is the kingdom of God. Should point others to the savior of the world who offers free and abundant and flourishing life. Our motivation, actually Jesus puts it one chapter earlier where he says in, uh, in Matthew 5.16, he says, in, uh, to, oh my gosh, I put it wrong, but uh, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that, ev- so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. And, and the so that, so that is important in Jesus' teaching. We obey what Jesus says so that we can experience abundant life that he provides. We, we go to church so that we can celebrate what God is doing in each one of our lives. We, we pray and read the Bible so that our roots will grow deeper into the character of God and our relationship with him will, will empower us for a life uh, that is focused on the kingdom of God. We speak in tongues, or we prophesy, or we seek healing, or we lead worship, or we speak sermons, or we give to the needy so that we'll look really good. No, right? So that our light will shine and everyone will praise our Heavenly Father. And we sometimes stop at just the doing good, but the action doesn't echo the motivation. The motivation is bringing people to the hope of the world and the saving knowledge of who Jesus is, that he died so that the penalty of sin will be paid for, and he rose again so that eternal life can be experienced and lived into. And this giving to the needy or or charity, it's not something that needs to be difficult, and it's not something that needs to be super impressive. In this season, it's, it's taking notes if you have kids who are going to school, taking notes of families who might not have the right supplies or might not have enough food, and making the effort to give where there is need. Right? giving out of abundance to where there is scarcity. Uh, it's seeing someone who, who might be struggling with belonging or, or identity and then inviting them for dinner or for coffee, giving yourself to someone so that they can experience the belonging that comes from being part of the family of God. Allowing your life to impact the lives of others. And this isn't something that, it doesn't end there most of the time. It actually leads to deeper conversations about life, about faith, about Jesus. And then we get hit with this, we, we pause because you think, I don't know enough. I don't, I, I haven't experienced enough Jesus to have these conversations. But the really beautiful thing about Jesus is that if you have put your faith in him, if you trust and believe in who Jesus is, and, and you know that God saves sinners, <laughs> then you know enough to engage in a conversation with Jesus because then it is how has he impacted my life? How have I seen him move in my life? And then every other question can kind of be worked through in dialogue, right? It can actually, we can journey with people through those questions. And then we also, I mean, the most important part, we're all empowered by the Holy Spirit when we believe to, to testify, to witness about him. So we can trust that he'll use our words and he'll speak through us as well. Giving. We're going to continue verse five. When you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites, there's the pattern, who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. 
Pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Prayer. Similarly, Jesus says, don't don't pray with a lot of words like the hypocrites do. Look at the motivation of what you're saying or why you're praying. Don't use words and phrases to impress others, but actually bring focus on worship and, and petitions towards God. And uh, I did I did a discipleship program uh, the other the other day, <laughs> six years ago. <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> I did a discipleship program a while ago, and uh, there was I came into this program right out of grade twelve, and and I was a very arrogant person, and so I came into this program, and the, the an area I was very arrogant in was prayer, which is weird to be arrogant in prayer. But I would come in, I had a lot of words to use, could use words like beseech or something, who knows, right? And then I get into this program and every morning we're praying and every morning I'm, I'm you know, doing my thing, saying many words. And then one week, the, the director of the program says, we're gonna focus on the words we use in prayer. And I was like, yeah. And he said, one of you uh, uses a lot of words, but specifically uses uh, the word just about 15 times in each prayer. And he highlighted uh, that, you know, the, the word just, there's nothing wrong with saying that in prayer, but in his mind, he's like, you limit what God is doing because you say, God, can you just do this instead of God, will you do your will in this and allowing for greater spaces. The words that you pray matter. And it also shows me that you don't actually think about what you're praying because you're just using these words over and over again. And I was like, yeah, Sarah, who was in the program as well. Um, and, he, and then he was like, Cody, that's you. <laughs> I was like, oh, no way. He said, okay, why don't you pray for us right now? And I was like, for sure. I said, Jesus, I just want to thank you. Okay, okay. I said, thank you for this day. I just asked that, oh. And it was five minutes probably of me trying to, to, to temper this word within my prayer. And, and once again, it's not that the, the word makes it a bad prayer. But my arrogant heart was put on display. And I felt shame. <laughs> I felt embarrassed, but I was also very humbled in the way that someone called me to account to say, don't use a lot of words. Don't babble. Instead, select your words and and actually focus on what you're praying. The hypocrites uh, have their reward, and the reward isn't pressing into the kingdom of God. It's getting affirmation. But when you press into true prayer, we actually get to enter into the presence of God and be transformed by it. It's not about informing God about things that he didn't already know, but inviting him to impact your life, to impact your heart, to impact your spirit for his glory and his kingdom, and then listening to him and listening for where he is guiding. It's about leaning into his power, being guided through it. It's about surrendering my will for the will of the Father and being uh, able to be brought out of my comfort zone to seek his will. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. Know who you're praying to. Our Father in heaven. There's, there's this Father aspect, this, this intimacy of who God is. In heaven, there's also this authority of who God, where he is, how, how much power he has. So you're praying to, this, to, to, to someone whose glory is higher than the heavens, but who is so intimate that we can call him Father. 
Holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, aligning my will with his will, less about my wants, more about his will. Give us what we need, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, let us not be brought into temptation, provision, forgiveness, and strength. Right, This provision aspect, it give us the food we need. It's, it's not just praying for food, and it might be praying for food. Right? But it's knowing that the character of our Father in heaven is one who cares about these little aspects of, of our life. Praying for my family, praying for healing, praying for these, these little things that I'm like, there's no way God would care about this. He does. Provision. Forgiveness. He, Jesus uh, hits a chord that, that I hope when we're reading, we, we question a little bit, where he says, you know, forgive others or, or forgiveness will be withheld. You kind of say, well, what? kind of flies in the face of the gospel, I thought. I thought forgiveness wasn't earned, right? I thought I didn't have to do anything to receive forgiveness. The gospel of, the, the gospel shares that forgiveness is, comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus and belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Belief and surrender to it. Belief isn't just acknowledgement, it's absolute trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Pastor Sam could come up to me and he could say, I can dunk a basketball. And I could say, I believe you. <laughs> or he can come up to me and say, I can dunk a basketball. I say, I'm going to lay down on the floor and you're going to jump over me and you're going to do it. Because I put my absolute trust in the fact that Pastor Sam can dunk a basketball. I don't. But <laughs> the illustration six, belief in the forgiveness of Jesus is the absolute trust that what he did on the cross covers sin it covers shame. It frees us from the shackles that have held us down through the flesh or through the world or through the evil one, through Satan, the tempter, the deceiver. And when we believe those things, when we put our absolute trust into those things, then we can forgive others because we have an understanding of how much we've been forgiven. Jesus is teaching that a forgiven person forgives. If I can receive God's forgiveness against the enormous rebellion that I have done against his character and his nature, but I can't forgive a person who hurt me, then it's either I've made light of Jesus' sacrifice or, or I don't completely understand it, which are both things that can be, can be worked through. And, and forgiveness, we sometimes pair that with complete restoration, but forgiveness is surrender. I surrender this situation. I surrender this person. I surrender my anger. I surrender all these things to you, Jesus, knowing that you are both judge and healer in this situation, and I will seek to bless where I can bless, and I will seek to restore where I can restore, but ultimately, I'm giving the situation up. And that might lead to restored relationship, but there, I know there are plenty of people who forgave me of, of acts that I've done, and our relationship is not the same, and that's okay. But sometimes it does lead to a restored relationship, and, and that's, you know, that's great as well. So prayer, more than an opportunity to get something from God, it's an opportunity to throw ourselves onto his love and character and ask him to move us where he desires. When you give, when you pray, and we'll hit this final one, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, rude, but that's fine, <laughs> wash your face 
then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Fasting is another act of surrender. It's an outward act of surrender saying whatever this world can offer me is simply a resource so that I can go forward and seek the kingdom of God first and above all things. Fasting is saying food doesn't control me. Video games don't control me. Uh, Alcohol doesn't control me. Coffee doesn't control me. Podcasts don't control me. Dating doesn't control me. It's saying that there's, there's nothing that has dominion over me that I cannot give up for the glory of, of God. But it's also you know, fasting for the sake of spiritual growth and maturity. And only when God calls us to do it. If you feel you know, there's something in your life that God is highlighting, then maybe it's time to take a step back, give it up for a day or for a month or for a year, reset your heart on what God is doing and what God is calling you to. But once again, motivation is key. I had a friend, he did a 40-day food fast. Uh, so he gave up food for the entire 40 days. Uh, I can't remember like the, the complete details of it, but, but no food. And he said it was amazing. He said this was like a greenhouse effect for my faith. Uh, when I should have been eating, I was giving time to God. I was praying. I was reading. I was doing all this. I had to rely on God's strength. It was awesome. And then I tried to do it again a few years later, and it was awful. He said, I gave up after two days. Because in the, in the first instance, he felt God saying, you have put your faith in other things, and you need to learn that you can depend on me. In the second instance, he says, I want that again. I want to feel that way again. God, do, do what you just did again because I want you to, right? And so in fasting, in giving up, in surrender, it's, it's the motivation, focusing on what God is doing, not to look disheveled, not to say, oh, I did a 40-day fast, to say, God, nothing that I have is off limits for you to take away, for me to surrender to you, and for you to, to teach me through. Giving, prayer, fasting, all these things are, are driven by a motivation of response rather than earning. You don't need to do these things to be Christian. You need to do these things to follow Jesus, right? Following Jesus, believing, being a Christian, that comes through belief in Jesus alone. But you can be better equipped and in tune with God by doing these things. And if we claim that Jesus is the author of life and he knows our hearts and what is needed to flourish, then in scripture when he says things like when you give, when you pray, when you fast, not if, when, then, then that should be an expectation to a flourishing life and we should take notice. Not as like a rule book, not Jesus as, as, a, as a dictator, but, but as an author of life who knows what it means to flourish in life. So I'll invite uh, the band to come up. And, and this morning, this week, spend some time reflecting on these areas of surrender, giving, praying, fasting, and asking that question, are there areas that I, I'm actually withholding from God? We did, uh, we had an internship this year that we ran uh, through the summer. Uh, Rachel was part of it, and then Faith Clausen was part of it, and we did a book study throughout it. And there was one chapter that highlighted, um, it was silence and solitude in prayer and, and devotions. And it was something that we, all, all three of us, were like, this is something we need to do. We need to surrender our mornings to God, to pray, to kind of fast. Uh, pastor Sam was part of it too, but he was already doing that because he's a great pastor already. And, 
And something that happened that week when we all dedicated ourselves to sitting in, in silence and solitude, asking God where he's leading, we all came back with these stories of how God then shaped our week because we surrendered an aspect of our day to him, right? To, to shape the rest of our day. And so, so this morning, take time in the stillness as we sing. Don't feel like you need to sing the words. You can sit, you can reflect. Where is God prompting me to, to surrender? And then how does that surrender impact people for the gospel? How does that surrender impact people for the kingdom? How does that surrender uh, establish in my heart who Jesus is and how much he loves me and wants me to, to flourish? through surrender. So we pray, Jesus, thank you for this this morning and once again that we can sit in the goodness of who you are, but also that, that in that goodness you call us from things into other things. You call us from death to life. You call us from shame to, to glory. You call us from um, hurt and brokenness to wholeness. And in that journey, in that process, I, I know, God, that you've called me to give up things and to, to take up other things. And so as we look at these three areas, I ask for each person in here that you would highlight in our heart, where is an area of surrender? Where is an area where we can say, God, you have control. This thing doesn't have control. And help us to do it in line with your will, in line with your spirit, empowered to testify of how good you are. Thank you for this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.